When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The following is a presentation of the Force Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Force Center podcast feed. Now it's time for Spotlight Star Wars with your host, Ken Knapsack. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Spotlight Star Wars. So happy to be here, and I first want to thank everyone of you Force Center fans that took some time to say thanks and tweet out your well wishes to our friend, uh, co-host, co-producer, colleague, Jennifer Landa, the great Jennifer Landa, taking some time away from Force Center, an undetermined amount of time, we don't know when. 
Uh, but she will be back. Uh, we do, of course, uh, want her back, Joseph and I, but she has uh, stepped away to uh, bring another Padawan into this world, and it's uh, a wonderful thing. We're so happy for her, and uh, very happy that you guys uh, out there, you listening, uh, understand and are very supportive and very happy for her and can't wait for her return. That also, though, doesn't mean you can't go back to previous episodes of Happy Beep Beeps, uh, or all the way back, uh, that's why I mumbled up the words there, Happy Beeps, and all the way back to Jedi Beat. The Jedi Beat was her original uh, specialty program here on Force Center. And all those episodes, hey, they're still up. So it's like Jennifer is still with us. We can't wait. She'll be checking in when she can, and quite frankly, when she wants. She's going to be heading to Galaxy's Edge, and of course, uh, you know, with the shows and movies on the way, we, we're not quite sure when she'll be back as a regular broadcaster, but we'll get her thoughts uh, when uh, we can and when she can. So wanted to address that up top uh, because it was uh, really nice to see. I know Jennifer uh, felt uh, really, really loved by all of you, and we appreciate that. I also want to take a little time on the personal side to thank all of you who have been so supportive of my book, Why We Love Star Wars, The Great Moments of Built the Galaxy Far, Far Away. Available now. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, any place you can find books. If they don't have it, request it. And that includes the library. You can request um your library to uh, pick up a copy and uh, you know, there will, uh, there will live and I'll be donating a few uh, copies actually locally here. If you're a local star Wars fan, Los Angeles, SoCal area, you know, I'll let you know when that's going to happen, but I'll be appearing at uh, some uh, library br- ba- uh, branches soon for some Star Wars days they got planned. Not going to be uh, focused on me or the book or Force or anything, but I'll be there to help uh, and donating some books to the library there. Uh, why We Love Star Wars doing pretty well. If you've uh, picked up a copy already and you like what you read, uh, go ahead and pop over to Amazon. Give it a review. I bring uh, the book up. Now, it, it, that, that's a, a solo venture with Joseph uh, writing the forward. Jennifer contributed uh, to uh, an essay in there about Leia, uh, adding her perspective to what I wrote in this particular essay. Uh, but it's something I had been working on on my own time for uh, last few months, uh, or six of, uh, last six months of uh, 2018. What year is this? 29? Are we in 2025 yet? It seems like it. Um, but without a doubt, anything I do in the Star Wars realm is always going to be intertwined with uh, what we do here at Force Center in some way or another, as it should be, because Joseph and Jennifer changed the way in which I uh, view Star Wars, uh, brought stuff out of me, uh, made me refocus and rethink, and at times just quite frankly step up my game of uh, analyzing and digging into the emotions of Star Wars, and that, that comes from directly from working with the two of them so closely over the last four years or so now, and that's reflected in the book as well. And one of the big things we call ourselves here at Force Center, particularly Joseph and I, uh, Jennifer as well, um, but I think Joseph and I, it's a, it's a flag we have planted in the Star Wars fandom uh, realm, that is the uh, we are prequelists, we say, right? Uh, This is uh, meaning that we enjoy the Star Wars prequels, which interesting, interestingly enough, I don't know if that's a radical uh, of a statement as it once was. It definitely was when we first started saying it. It definitely was when I kind of came to these conclusions as a fan and Joseph did as well. uh, And his uh, his journey to it uh, differs from mine a little bit, but also it's similar and similar to a lot of older fans and I'll describe, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm describing uh, older fans, meaning like if, if you were over 
18, when The Phantom Menace came out, you were a part of a different generation of Star Wars fans who may have seen the prequels, particularly Phantom Menace, a little bit different. And Joseph and I, uh, we are prequels. We've done a lot of broadcasting on what we love about the prequels, what we appreciate, what the big themes, what it all means there. As you all know, listening right now, most of you probably understand that. Uh, but I, in, in promoting the book, Why We Love Star Wars... You know, you see how I worked that title in? <laughs> I'm a hack. Uh, in promoting the book on a wonderful uh, collection of podcasts recently that I've been fortunate enough to be asked to be on, including unmistakably Star Wars, one of the recent ones, and Around the Galaxy. Pete let me on that show, and we had a great conversation. Some more coming, uh, more shows on the way. Stay tuned for those. Follow me on Twitter, and I'll let you know. But I get asked a lot about the prequelist thing, and and and... The prequels, uh, and writing a hundred uh, essays about my favorite moments in Star Wars, there's a lot of the prequels in there, a lot with Phantom Menace. And uh, without a doubt, you're going to get asked that question. And uh, a lot of the questions are when when, and how, and especially if you followed me for more than a few years here on social media or some of the podcasts and broadcasting I do, you know that there's been times I was a little bit more jokey and, and uh, uh, cynical towards the prequels. Well, stuff changed. I changed. The way I viewed it changed. Now, I will contend there was always always a love of them laced within all the comments. Things that I didn't care to admit to myself. And the story is true. Going back to the Phantom Menace saw it eight times in the theater. That seems like a lot, but I know a lot of people that beat that number. I did like them. I was defending them to my friends. Saying, no, 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 there's deeper political themes. Here's some examples. Here's some real-world histories. But I just kind of kept getting beat over the head with it. They're not good. They're not good. They're not good. And there's things in them that I, you know, eh, aren't my favorite. Even now today, I look at it and kind of, now I look at it with a smile or a smirk. Back then, it was larger than life. Battle droids comically say, Roger, Roger. Process them. I don't like that line. Back then, I was clenched fist. How dare they have a battle droid say, process them. Now, I'm like, that's one of my favorite silly lines in Star Wars because that's part of the fun of being a Star Wars fan. We can appreciate the great things, the deep things, the themes and the emotions, and we can also appreciate that a stormtrooper bumps his damn head. It's the thing. It's the thing about being a Star Wars fan. You like it all. You have fun with it all. I don't understand stewing in the negativity, different conversation, but I've had to answer now a few times why I like the prequels, how I came to that conclusion. Even a friend of mine, I won't give up her name. She's uh, someone I've worked with. I don't want you guys to jump on her. She, she texted me not too long ago. How, I, like, you really do like the prequels. I said, absolutely. She said, why? It's a fair question. And I tried to answer. Today, I don't know if I can answer that perfectly. It, it, it is kind of, for a fan of my generation, a bit of a complicated journey. There's some criticisms out there, the Phantom Menace in particular, that I think, yeah. Yeah, I get. I do get it. I've said it before, but I'll never forget the moment. I mentioned to someone who didn't really know me at a, a waiting for a show to start, I like, uh, I like the prequels. And he said, turn to me, and he says, well, I would like to debate you on how uh, they're not good movies. I said, I, sir, would not like to debate you. 
I understand the flaws. I just enjoy them. And he looked at me and was like, oh, okay. In one interview, I don't want to bury it in case uh, you haven't listened to it, but I did talk about how the first time I really uh, sat down to talk Star Wars with Joseph Scrimshaw on a podcast was Jedi Alliance with Mon Garrett back in 2014. Met uh, Joseph at a convention. Uh, his first appearance kind of in this realm, he was doing his own stuff, obviously. Still does his own stuff. Check it out. Obsessed, all that. But in kind of this realm, when I mean like uh, the Popcorn Talk Network and After Buzz and Schmoes No and Collider and Screen Junkies and that kind of world, one of his first appearances was on Marvel Movie News with Matt Key. And uh, after that, I said, hey, let's absolutely let's do Star Wars. What do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about anything particular? He was like, I'd like to, you know, I guess kind of defend the prequels. I was excited about that. Oh, that sounds fun. Great. Because at the time, Maude and I were learning that a lot of our fans of the old show Jedi Alliance were prequel fans and definitely, definitely not unhappy or angry with Maude and I. Some of them might have been. But just kind of very polite, but just saying, hey, you know what? We're, um, we're fans of these and you take some shots at them. We understand. But uh, don't forget, we enjoy them. And that was the sentiment. Have your opinions, but don't forget, we enjoy them. I think that's a valuable little specific lesson. So Joseph was uh, going to come in and do this, and, you know, we pop on. The way I broadcast is just the mics go on, the cameras go on. We'll figure it out when we get there. It uh, doesn't work for everybody. And uh, so I didn't do a lot of pre-research with Joseph or, like, oh, what are your points? And I just kind of thought, oh, we'll have a fun. I'm not a giant, like, a vicious debater. Uh, then I'm going to, you know, I'll roll up my sleeves and, okay, sir, let me tear down the prequels. It was like, let's have a fun conversation. But we'll point out some stuff. Maybe you'll say this uh, in my head. I'm thinking he'll probably say this, and I'll say, yeah, but what about this? And that didn't happen. Uh, what the discussion ended up being, uh, and you can still find it online, it, it was more about what they meant and what they, the story they told to the greater Star Wars story. And it was mostly, and I'll never forget, Joseph saying it's just this guy making an independent film and it's this weird, kind of crazy, messy piece of art. And even though we love the new Star Wars now, it's it's made a little differently. Then I think something like Last Jedi comes along, quite frankly, and it, it, it's kind of similar. Where if you are watching it up close, let's talk about it in the book, Why We Love Star Wars. If you're watching Ryan paint it, his team paint this piece of art, it can be confusing and brush it. You have to stand back, maybe take a few years, look back and look at it. I think it's the same with the prequels, specifically The Phantom Menace. Revenge of the Sith is an easier sell. Attack of the Clones has some things that uh, even still to this day, I don't even, I, I laugh about, but it's some of my least favorite stuff in Star Wars, which, by the way, is okay. Star Wars is big enough for you to not like some things in it. You can still be a fan and not like some things. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The other, not too long ago, actually, May 24th. I was going to say the other day, but no time she flies. May 24th. We were around uh, the 20th anniversary of The Phantom Menace and on StarWars.com, which is sometimes overlooked as a Star Wars, not just news source, but just kind of a Star Wars entertainment source. Our show, Databank Brawl, Joseph Scrimshaw's Databank Brawl, is uh, born out of the idea of he would read the databank and say, hey, what have these two fought? So it's called Databank Brawl. There's the Star Wars databank on the website. On StarWars.com on May 24th, 2019, they released an oral history of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. 
Title all films are personal in oral history of Star Wars Episode One of Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace, this was put together by Dan Brooks. If you're not familiar with Dan Brooks, he's been writing uh, for StarWars.com for some time. He is the, I want to get his official title right, so I'm scrolling all the way down to the log line. Aren't log lines the best? But Dan Brooks uh, is the senior content writer, Lucasfilm senior content writer, and uh, with uh, contributions from Lynn Hale, Mickey uh, Capoferri, and Kelly Knox. This great... Uh, article, blog, whatever you want to call it, this oral history. I mean, it. you could give me a book, the oral history of the Phantom Menace, and I take my money, please. This article is juicy. It's great. There are a lot of behind-the-scenes stories on the Phantom Menace that we have seen or heard. Some stuff is new. Some of the insights are new. But a lot of it, again, we have heard. Uh, I also refer you to Chris Taylor's wonderful book, how Star Wars Conquered the Universe, which has some great stuff on episode one, including kind of a first draft that I'm still intrigued by with maybe more of a focus on Obi-Wan, all this kind of stuff. But by the time the second draft came along, they were going in that direction. Check it out. Uh, Chris is a very positive Star Wars fan, but he gives a pretty fair and balanced approach to the making of The Phantom Menace and the controversies that followed and the backlash that followed. You can't deny it. And this article on StarWars.com does not deny that there were some uh, strong feelings about the Phantom Menace. As we sometimes do here on Spotlight Star Wars, I love taking a look at other things. We were looking at the New Hope novel uh, back in the day, the Alan Dean Foster one. We're looking at the Return of the Jedi and the Empire Strikes Back novel. I was reading some little bits from it. We were talking about it, talking about what it meant. One of the things I'm always fascinated by is a lot of what we know now, even in new canon, even in this Disney era, a lot of it comes from some of George's Thoughts, specific thoughts on the on uh, the backgrounds, the backstory, the histories of characters and stories and planets and, and a lot of those things. Uh, and in thinking about it, why I wanted to talk about this today, why I look at The Phantom Menace now and have a greater appreciation for it. It was, without a doubt, a film that played on levels that weren't easily present, especially if you didn't want to look Oh, it struck a chord with kids because that's what Star Wars does. That's what it's supposed to do. That's what it's designed to do by George himself. And I believe any piece of Star Wars official narrative uh, project or property, uh, comic books, novels, even video video games especially, I would say actually, and uh, movies and TV shows, all of it to me, and this is maybe to me, needs to connect back to that thesis statement from George Lucas. This is for 12-year-olds. You've heard me say it time and time again. My critics are probably sick of me saying that. It does not mean that Star Wars cannot get dark, cannot challenge you, and cannot occasionally get that word that everyone loves to use, gritty. Oh, gritty. But Star Wars, to me, cannot be dark and gritty alone, and only those things. You must have this DNA for 12-year-olds. But Phantom Menace, in going for that, and going for younger, quite frankly, George would say, it goes way beyond that. And when you look back now, 20 years later, to me, George Lucas knew what he was doing. Absolutely knew what he was doing. And as Joseph said years ago on Jedi Lines, this was a film made by an independent filmmaker, and it's very clear, and it's very much his. 
that's what keeps pulling me back, specifically to episode one and two and three. And if you start digging in into any one of these movies, particularly the new movies, if you start digging in, you will find those connections. The emotional canon that we always talk about here in Force Center, it runs through almost everything. I've been uh, listening to uh, the Dooku Jedi Lost audio uh, story. Uh, since it's, uh, I can't say audio book because they don't have a hard uh, material, uh, you know, hard, hard, uh, hard copy, uh, an actual uh, physical media of the book, right? It's, a, it's just an audio uh, story. And it's good. It's going good. Joseph and I are going to take a look at it. Um, and already, without you know, going into it, there's some stuff going on with Dooku that connects to, I think, my favorite Dooku scene, the interrogation of Obi-Wan Kenobi on Geonosis. It's there. The emotional canon is there. And when you dig in, you find that George had that there. He had all of it there, and it connected to his original trilogies, and it was his story there. And, yeah, he did some things, took some chances, and he pushed the boundaries. I don't want to go too long here today, and I also don't want to take every great little morsel from the article. I really want you to check out Dan Brooks's uh, article on StarWars.com. I really, really want you to. Um. But I want to go over some of my favorite little quotes and talk about them here. The big quotes, so bear with me. This is what we've been doing, like I said. We read the Star Wars novel, read the Return of the Jedi novel, the section on Mon Mothman or history. It's stunning to me. I'd forgotten how clear the story of Mon Mothma was back in 1983. It was pulled out of George's mind and put onto the paper of this novel, written by James Caan, and how much that connects to the Mothma we see in Star Wars Rebels. It's her story. It's there. George is a world builder. This first quote from George, he says, this is towards the beginning. With episode one, I didn't want to tell a limited story. I had to go into the politics and the bigger issues of the Republic and that sort of thing. I had to go into the bigger issues, and in order to do that, I had to come up with a way of doing it, and that's what digital technology brought me. I had Yoda, but he couldn't fight. I had cities, but I couldn't build models that big. I had lots and lots of costumes, but I couldn't afford to make them. So there were a lot of issues that were just practical. Episode one wasn't doable for a long time. So I waited until we had the technology to do it. George Lucas is inspired by technology and art, history. That's what continues to fascinate me. Yeah, he wanted to make Flash Gordon, couldn't get the rights, so he made Star Wars, but he didn't just toss it up on screen. It's all in his brain. And yes, it's political, and yes, there's statements, but yes, it goes back to that core of morality and the choices that you will have all through your life. And I'm fascinated by this because I wonder what he could do do now. And I'm not talking about George's episode seven. And I mean, what if he was to do episode one now? I, I he'll never do a special edition version. But I get why he did it with his original trilogy. Chris Taylor's book tells the story of he was changing audio in New Hope the weekend the, the picture came out in '77. George truly does look at this as art, living documents, things that go on, and I am fascinated by that there. And I, and I, you hear the excitement in George's voice. This was all in my head. Yes, he was raising his kids at the time. Uh, Star Wars had faded away. George was more interested in ILM and setting that stuff up. They even talk about, I think, uh, you know, some of the uh, the interview in this article. You know, Doug Chang, uh, Chang, uh, uh, Gene Bolt, uh, Rob Coleman, John Knoll, and they were talking about, uh, you know, George used to show up for meetings at. Lucasfilm and kind of like, hey, you ever going to make the movies? And finally, in 1994, he said, yeah, yeah, 
you can look up those histories elsewhere. Jurassic Park, I think, had a lot to do with that. A lot of what ILM was doing. George was there for the tech, but the tech to tell his story. And I still sometimes, look, I sometimes look at it. I absolutely look at stuff in Attack of the Clones and how the clones are digital and everything. I I sometimes wish I could reach out and feel them. I like that. I was watching a behind-the-scenes clip popped up of uh, Avengers Endgame and and two of the characters um, completely in mocap suits, and you wouldn't think that they would be. Not the the way they look on screen, but just like wow, they just said that they mocap that character. It's interesting to me. So you can put some technology up there that maybe takes away from your story. And there's little moments there, but I'm excited by by George saying this. I was ready. I was ready to tell my story, the big complicated histories, because I felt we finally could. He goes on to say, you know, all films are personal. Unless you get hired to do something, you just do it. But anything you write and direct and have control over is personal. So everything I've done has been very personal. You don't just do movies out of boredom. You do them because you want to. Uh, Yeah, I love that because Star Wars is a cash cow. Phantom Menace went crazy. They pushed out all the marketing. We know. It's kind of crazy. It was. And I think the Toys of Beta stock really does a good job of of saying, why wouldn't you have thought that episode one is going to be a cash cow in terms of toys based on what had happened before? So they go a little bit too crazy, a little bit overworked. But even in then, it's kind of fun. Jar Jar Pez dispensers and all that kind of good stuff. Um, George goes on to say, in that particular case, one of the main driving aspects of the film was the backstory. Doing the first three Star Wars, I had to create a backstory without every about where everybody came from, what they did, and everything that had happened. When I finished Return of the Jedi, there was a lot of stories that weren't used it's basically telling, uh, basically trying to fill in the gaps with pieces that I had to make a full story. Original idea for Star Wars was one movie about the tragedy of Darth Vader, but as the story grew, it ended up being three movies and a backstory uh, was never explained. I decided that it would be important to finish it off, do the backstory, because things that I had thought would be self-evident about the story, the audience didn't get. Over the ten years after Return of the Jedi, I realized people misunderstood a lot, such as where Anakin came from, so it was a way of finishing off the whole thing. I love that. George George sometimes changes. There's that joke of, you know, when did George tell you that, Mark Hamill? George's own, uh, own history and I'm making it sometimes does change. I do admit that. But uh, he always does come back to kind of this kind of stuff. And this is the story. He wants you to watch it, episode one through six. I would still even argue with the creator and say, yeah, go four, five, and six to get the impact of how we all felt it. But he has designed it to be one through six. And I love that he does not back off. He's pretty blunt saying people misunderstood a lot, such as where Anakin came from. And I love that because when I do go on my Last Jedi or Solo or any kind of a a rampage there and try to make it a polite rampage, I don't mind if you can look at one of the movies and say, I I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that. I have no problem with that. Because I can't, there's no debate there. It's when I feel people misunderstand what the story is telling you. Because I I don't think it's that complicated. Star Star Wars is broad strokes, even as complicated as uh, the prequels, uh, politics and all that stuff can be. 
Finn picks up the lightsaber to fight Rey. Kylo uh, kills Snoke to make that final decision. Uh, uh, all the things with Luke Skywalker. I think a lot of it was misunderstood and still is misunderstood in, in this modern era of, of film criticism. And I think it's still being misunderstood when it comes to like Return of the Jedi and Empire and New Hope. Joseph and I are going to be doing Star Wars Ranked soon on some of the best lines that have, uh, you know, the most meaning to the greater Star Wars story. We'll, we'll work on that title, of course. Uh, this came about because I was watching New Hope at my friend uh, Owen's house. We were watching on a digital projector for the 42nd anniversary, and I just was struck. Certainly not for the first time, but struck by Obi-Wan Kenobi telling Han Solo as they are pulled into the Death Star by the tractor beam. And Han says, they're not going to get me without a fight. And Obi-Wan says, you can't win. But there are alternatives to fighting. Such a key line to Star Wars. It's right there. I don't think people hear that. I think a lot of you listening do. I think a lot of the Force Center fans do. And I don't mean to, ooh, dangerous territory, right, Ken? I don't mean to put battle lines up between different kind of fan groups. I don't. Your enjoyment from Star Wars is your enjoyment. If you like uh, just what you see on the surface about the fighting and and all that stuff, I I think that's great. But I love that George says this. (laughs) Return of the Jedi, uh, they misunderstood a lot, particularly the story of Anakin. I wanted to tell it. Early on, it was that Anakin had been more or less created by the midichlorians, George says, and that the midichlorians had a very powerful relationship with the wills it's from the first draft of Star Wars. And the power of the wills and all that. And I never really got a chance to explain the wills part. This, is, of course, came up again when uh, talks of uh, George's Episode 7 uh, emerged. When I think George said, we go on like a, what did he say, microbiotic level. Uh, the wills, kind of how we were all kind of controlled. And I don't even know if I take that. I mean, I do like the war over the lore. And I don't just like the fighting. I like... Stories around the fight, and I love the story of the rebellion against the Empire, you know, but uh, that's important to George, too. But it's it's highly entertaining to me that still keeps coming back to this idea that George, oh, if he was doing episode seven, it would have been something a little out there. I do not know the specifics of George's episode seven. There's little things here and there, particularly in the uh, Art of the Force Awakens book, little morsels, even the Art of the Last Jedi book. Some of the designs, taking from some of the things George had thought about. I think Grumpy Luke would have been placed in some way or another. I think there would have been uh, young heroes, all that stuff. Whether or not he would have made little differences, uh, changes along the way that everyone would have enjoyed, eh, maybe maybe he would have put the big three on screen together at the same time. Something I sometimes still wish I could see. But I like the choices they made in the story. I really, really do. But I haven't heard the specifics. But I, I have heard one or two people who who have... And it won't tell me, and I don't want to know, but they do say, it's pretty out there. It's pretty cool. It's pretty bonkers. I don't know if it would have been accepted any more or any worse than Force Awakens was. But I love that George goes back to this. I love that he has this all in his head. Do not forget. It was probably best that he just has to walk away. Probably best. When the deal went down in 2012, I loved the idea of George being around. Maybe consult made sense. 
I've been a part of, uh, you know, companies and other lines of work where bigger companies came in and purchased it, but the the people at the top kind of made the transition over to consult to make sure everything kind of stayed the same. But, hey, you guys run it. We'll be here to help. I thought George would have been more, and eh, there might be some stories and politics and some drama yet to emerge on what happened in 2012, 2013, and beyond. I don't know if I'll ever get that story. I don't know if I ever want it. I'm kidding. I want it. Uh, but George wasn't around. George didn't stay around. But... A lot of what he wanted remains. And I sometimes wonder, will we get some of this stuff? Because this is his world. The story is in his head. He goes on to say this quote. This is really interesting. At least to me. Everybody said, oh, well, there's a war between the Jedi and the Sith. Excuse me, I'll read that again. Oh, well, there was a war between the Jedi and the Sith. And this is George Lucas, by the way. He says, well, that never happened. That's just made up by fans or somebody. Oh, I wonder what his thoughts are on a potential Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, what really happened is the Sith ruled the universe for a while, 2,000 years ago. Each Sith has an apprentice, but the problem was each Sith Lord got to be powerful, and the Sith Lords would try to kill each other because all they wanted to be uh, was to, to be the most powerful. So in the end, they killed each other off, and there wasn't anything left. So the idea that is when you have a Sith Lord... And he has an apprentice. The apprentice is always trying to recruit somebody to join him because he's not strong enough, usually, so that he can kill his master. So that's why I call it a rule of two. There's only two Sith Lords. Interesting. I, that's not even... I mean, he sets up the master and apprentice Sith relationship. But I love this. This is also echoed. I've been rereading the Phantom Menace novel very slowly. We started talking a little bit about here on uh, the Spotlight Star Wars, but... Been reading it very so slowly. Terry Brooks's uh, 1999 novelization of Phantom Menace. There's the great scene with Anakin helping an injured Tuscan Raider that I kind of totally forgot about. Uh, some of Anakin's dreams are fascinating. There is a section. I got to the section where all the stuff George just says here, including the 2,000 years ago, is all there. Whether or not that will play out whether or not, maybe, I don't know specifically when this particular interview was conducted. Seems recent, but uh, some of the stuff with Tal Vizsla, some of the stuff in Rebels, and some of the stuff in the Clone Wars with Bane and everything. You know, if Filoni tells it, I, I think he understands what George wanted. The details can change. I don't need it to be specifically this. But it's fascinating to me that George is like, oh, the Jedi and Sith War? No, that's not the history. Here's the history. Let me tell you this. I think that's great. I think that's great. We'll see how that plays out. Here's some interesting stuff about George on the Force. People have a tendency to confuse it. Everybody has the Force. Everybody. You have the good side and you have the bad side. And as Yoda says, if you choose the bad side, it's easy because you don't have to do anything. Maybe kill a few people. Cheat. Lie. Still. Lord it over everybody. But the good side is hard because you have to be compassionate. To give off, uh, give up yourself, whereas the dark side is selfish. Simple, basic stuff with the force. Love that. But this thing about everybody has the force is really intriguing to me. It goes beyond just what we have now with Ray. Is she a child of destiny? I think so. Is Ray also from nowhere? I think for the most part, yes. Even if we find something else, even if it's revealed that. Ray is the you know, daughter of Luke and granddaughter of Kenobi and all those things. If any of that comes true, that's great. But I still think 
she is and was Ray from nowhere. If you don't know you're a king or a queen by blood and you grow up a poor, uh, you know, urchin on a street, to me that still means you're that poor street urchin. You just now have better blood, better connections or whatever in the, you know, constraints of the story here, in the context of the story, I should say, but uh, I don't think it changes it. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I don't know. So even if she's Ray Kenobi, she is still Ray from nowhere to me because she lived that life and felt those things. Jon Snow is still a bastard, even though he's Aegon Targaryen. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? So it's fascinating to me, though, that George goes into this. No, everybody has the Force. Jedi just maybe know how to use it. Sith know how to use it. That's why you have to be discovered young. It got me thinking. It gets me thinking. You know, there's some, you know, always some rumors of, hey, maybe this character has the Force. And I always kind of push back on that. Well, they, you know, they haven't shown signs of it. Ray might not have shown signs of it like Broom Kid to Mary Black calling the broom to him, but I think Ray had it in her. She always says something's always been inside of me. But there again, too, it's almost what George is saying here. Everybody has it. And that's a pretty powerful statement, actually, and goes to the core of Star Wars. This is why I highlighted this quote from George. If you're talking about the choices that will play out in front of you in your life, talking about the morality, and you're a young kid listening, this concept of the force, it's a superpower in some people's minds, it's a way to win fights, way to roll over chance cubes. It is all those things. Yep, it's great. But I think the force is this, uh, it's this bigger concept of, of life. Everybody has life in them. You don't have to be a Skywalker to have life. So how are you going to use that life, this power? Gandalf would say, all you have to do is decide what to do with the time that's been given to you. If you can put it in something that we could grasp in the Star Wars story, it's the Force. Everybody has the Force. Do you discover it? Does someone help you discover it? What do you do with it? Will you be seduced by the dark side of the force? Will you be seduced by the dark side of life? That is what George is talking about. That is what he's telling you, what he was telling you when you were younger, and what he's telling the children out there now. Star Wars still has to tell that. What do you do with the life given to you? Light or dark? Moral choices. There's big fights, there's resistances, there's rebellions, but you're making those choices too. Some of the choices are complicated. Some are not easy. Sometimes you want to take that lightsaber and slice your father's head off in front of his boss. But as Luke Skywalker talks about in uh, Battlefront 2 to Del Mico, it's make the choice to be better. Throws down his lightsaber. And that doesn't mean the battle ends. Force doesn't work that way because life doesn't work that way. 
Made some great food choices this week. Bought some salads. Ate a can of tuna. Dropped a few pounds. Today I had a box of Reese's Pieces. When I chose that salad four days ago, the battle was not over. So the battle wasn't over with Luke Skywalker at the end of Return of the Jedi. Love this stuff. Love this stuff from George. It's all there. And again, I think it plays out. This isn't about George's Star Wars and everybody else's Star Wars. I absolutely believe in my heart the Star Wars of now. That's why I wrote about it in a book. The Star Wars of now connects to the Star Wars of other eras if the creators do their job, and, and, and they do, by the way, of connected. Plot lines and ships and things and choices, that's different. How a movie comes together, that's different. But the DNA of Star Wars has to go back to what George is talking about. Or else Star Wars doesn't work. There's a lot of other things, a lot of other things. I don't want to spend too much time. I want you all to read it, but we can talk about the design. Talk about everything that put into it. There's some real interesting stuff there. And I think, uh, you know what, I'm thinking on the fly here, I think I'll continue this. I think I'll continue this. Um, but there's a quote from Ahmed Best towards the end. I think in further episodes, Spotlight Stars will talk about the design and how it worked and the world that George was creating and how this all came together and the backlash. But I want to close on this quote from uh, Ahmed Best. A couple quotes. I'm going to put a couple together. I look back at the work that we've done, and I'm nothing more than proud. We did groundbreaking, innovative work. As far as innovation goes in movies since, they've taken what we've done and expanded on it. The Avatars and The Lord of the Rings. But Phantom Menace innovated that stuff. It works because we did it. Goes on to say, George Lucas is a futurist, says I'm at best. That guy can see 20, 30, 50 years in the future as an artist and as a creator and as an innovator. He's done things that no one else has done, no one else has even thought of. I know the fan backlash of 20 years ago was loud. But that's all it really was. It was just loud. And now we have to be louder in our pride for this thing. Because we have an army behind us of people who love those movies. Ahmed Bass, man. I would love to sit down with Ahmed Bass and just talk. <laughs> talk Star Wars off air, off mic, off camera. With Ahmed Best. I think he kind of gets it. The article does talk a lot about Ahmed Best going to Star Wars Celebration. A lot of the interviews uh, were uh, after Star Wars Celebration, or maybe at them. Um, Dan Brooks and his uh, team does a, a spectacular job of putting this together. Uh, so spectacular. I've rambled to the point that I think I want to revisit this. Talking about the design, the backlash, and how things came to be. And answering the question... Ken, how did you become a prequelist? Did you always love the prequels? How did you get to that point? And what do you love about them? I've been asking myself that a lot, even though I know I do. What's the answer? And this great piece by Dan Brooks on StarWars.com really, really has helped, helped me understand what I do love about them. Today we just focused on George. There's more things to come. And again, 
what I'm at best to say. And I know the fan backlash of 20 years ago was loud, but that's really all it was. It was just loud. It's still loud in some places now, but like Ahmed says, we have to be louder in our pride for Star Wars. We have an army behind us of people who love these movies. I know I do. I know you do. That's why you're here. That's why you're listening to Force Center. And I cannot thank you all enough. We'll revisit this excellent article. Check it out. Go to StarWars.com. Look up the oral history of The Phantom Menace. I'll put a link out in the tweet promoting this episode. So if you've listened, you probably already saw that tweet. You can go click on it if you haven't read the article. Um, I don't know. I've never talked to him. I probably ran past him in a celebration, but... Uh, Thank you, Dan Brooks, for putting this together here on StarWars.com. Really, really great stuff. Uh, worth a revisit. Absolutely. I'm going to read the, the article again. We'll do it here in Spotlight Star Wars. You can go to KenNapsuck.com for information on uh, all the things I do uh, beyond Force Center, including the afternoons of Josh and Ken, the Napsuck Files, Casterly Talk, and my book, Why We Love Star Wars, The Great Moments to Built the Galaxy Far, Far Away, available through uh, Mega Publishing um, uh, on Amazon. Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, and other places. And like I said, if you have a local bookstore and they don't have it, just say, hey, point to a picture. Grab a picture of the book and go, I want this. Please. Ask nicely. Please. Maybe. No. Get it. Uh, that is it for this week. Spotlight Star Wars. We roll on. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to Spotlight Star Wars on Four Center. Follow us on Twitter at Four Center Pod and follow Ken online, including Twitch, at Ken Knapsack. Consider supporting Four Center on Patreon at patreon.com slash Center. Go to fourcenterpod.podomatic.net for more information and use the hashtag Spotlight Star Wars to join the conversation. Until next time, this has been Spotlight Star Wars on Four Center. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.